Back again for another edition of the Indie Ball Report Podcast, the show that breaks down everything and anything in independent league baseball. And today we are going to announce our big announcement, so you'll want to stay tuned for this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we're back again. Another episode here, episode number 75, three quarters of the way to 100. And while I don't have my usual co-host, I do have a new usual co-host, as it were. Uh, That's kind of our big announcement here. We're going to finally add a third member of the show. I teased it a little bit at the end of last week's show. I suppose if you're a frequent listener, this should come as no real surprise as to who it is. I guess I'll allow them to introduce themselves now as the new member of the Indie Ball Report podcast, which I'm not sure if this counts, but I'm going to call ourselves the pro- the premier and predominant independent league baseball podcast because I have yet to get any sort of pushback by calling ourselves this. Well, guys, uh, if you've listened to the podcast a good amount, then you probably know who this voice is. But uh, I'm Will Thompson. I run the uh, ALPB News Instagram page. I, I know I've appeared on this on this show a, a couple times. I was uh, I've, I've listened to this. I've listened to the Indie Ball Report for really since, since pretty much since since it started. Um, I know hard to imagine. Well, uh, this is now episode seventy five. That, that that's just wild to me. But I, I've I've listened for a long long time, uh, and I am thrilled to be a, uh, a, a the new co host. And uh, talking indie ball every week and bringing you guys some great content. So I'm I'm really excited to to get started for, uh, permanently now. Whenever you're on the show and we're just talking, you could tell the knowledge that you have, and it really it really does bring another really good voice and element to the show. And so definitely happy to have you aboard now on a permanent basis. And I just want to point out that this does prove that here at the Indie Ball Report podcast, there is upward mobility. You can go from a listener to a regular host just like that that's right yep. hey you just gotta pay your dues you just have to uh, listen for like 65 65 episodes and maybe you can become the next co-host of the indie ball report exactly so you just listen for a year long and then we slowly gradually work you in and then next thing you know you're a regular on the show and that's just what happens it here. Is that e- it's that easy it's that easy to do Exactly. But in all seriousness, no, we are happy to have Will on, happy to add a third voice. And my usual co-host should be back next week. Uh, if not, we'll figure it out as we go along, as we do. With that said, I suppose we'll just jump right into our usual stick here, which is some American Association talk. Obviously, it's a, been a big week in the American Association. We are now officially past the halfway mark. We had a record-shattering performance this week as well. And uh, there's a whole lot to unpack here. And I think the best way of going about breaking through the association is kind of doing what I did last week, which is just picking a couple of teams to highlight. I think when we talk all six teams it gets bogged down a little bit and when you spend like an hour and a half on one subject it, it starts to get a little uh, little weighty so uh, there's only a handful of teams that really deserve a spotlight this week but we'll definitely definitely cover at least a little bit from everybody so uh, I suppose to get started with the team that's been making a really hot charge as of late which is the Milwaukee Milkmen seven and three in their last ten 
20 and 16 overall now and just a game and a half out of first place and they managed to swipe that second place position from the Canaries who are one of those teams we're going to be talking about in a little bit here but a solid week from the Milkmen they finally started to get some offense from a couple of guys and again they're their pitching just keeps holding out. I mean, they had, what, three, four guys that pitched three or more innings and managed to have an ERA of zero again this week. So uh, they're they're sticking firm with their strategy. And like I said last week, if they just got a couple of bats going, their pitching will hold out. And uh, that's been proving true to this point. Right. I mean, Nick, you said it. It, it, it's a ma- it was always a matter of time for the, uh, for the milkmen to start, to start go- making their push towards the top of the standings. Specifically, like you mentioned, because that pitching is so good, uh, both the starters and the back end of the bullpen is probably the best you'll find in the American Association with Peyton Gray and A.J. Shugel specifically. However, the bats always, the beginning of the year, they really struggled for a while, but now they've really started to pick it up. Specifically, a guy who had an absolutely monster week is David Washington, who I guess you could say um, in the first 20 to 25 games was a little bit uh, underwhelming for for all his success in Long Island. I guess you you might have expected a little bit more out of him in Milwaukee. However, he he put together an absolute monster week, and he really led the charge for this Milkmen team to take five out of seven from Chicago this week that really kind of started to separate themselves in the standings. I mean, you look at his numbers. He was just just ridiculous. Out of 31 at-bats this week in his seven games, he had 14 hits, 14 for 31. And for a guy with that much power, and he's always kind of hit for a pretty low average throughout his entire professional career. That's an insane week. And not to mention, with the 14 hits, more than half were extra base hits. Out of his 14 hits, 10 were extra base hits. Eight doubles and two, and two home runs to go along with 10 RBIs. It was an absolute monster week for, for David Washington, and he really led the charge with this milkman offense. And the pitching kept holding up, and now, now you see what this team could become. Absolutely. I mean, Washington was a guy I was about to highlight, too. I mean, not to mention he also scored seven runs in addition to the two uh, home runs he had hit, too. Plus, there's also Dylan Tice and uh, Trowbridge that are starting to heat up as well. I believe they're batting around 300, if I remember right. And yeah, they're just they're starting to finally come together all at the same time here. And you mentioned Shugel and Peyton Gray. Obviously, those two are very good. But there's also uh, Kowalczyk and Miles Smith, too, that both pitched very well as well. So, I mean, you have four guys right there where they seem to be used fairly regularly. I mean, they four innings apiece, roughly. I mean, Smith just got one-third of an inning shy of getting his four innings in. So, clearly, there's a strategy involved here. You toss on, too, the fact they had Henderson Alvarez for a while. I believe his contract got purchased by the Pirates earlier today. But now they also mm-hmm. have uh, Hutchinson. They have uh, they have Ventura, although I believe he's on the injured list at the moment. And then you also still have David Holmberg. I mean, that's a still a very solid starting three rotation there. I mean, that's pretty deep in addition to the bullpen you have there. And then there's all sorts of other pitchers here that we didn't mention. Tyler Ahern's another guy. Uh, Hartman's another guy. Those are guys that don't get as much acclaim as the the other guys that I just mentioned here in the Kowalczyk's, the Smiths, the Grays, the, the Shugles and all them. But those two, Ahern and uh, Hartman, they chip in as well, and they can produce equally. So, I mean, Milwaukee was a team where I thought, okay, they can maybe make some noise in the preview, and they kind of 
they kind of tipped off. Sioux Falls did well. Now they're starting to come together again, and that's really being shown here. And obviously, uh, their rise this week, like you mentioned, it kind of coincided with the dogs trailing off a little bit here. And now they're back into the middle of the pack after shooting up like a rocket the last two weeks. So now it's really going to become uh, crunch time fairly soon here. We're less than a month left in the season, and it's a matter of who's going to get that last spot. And if I'm right, they're a game and a half up on the nearest team to take their playoff spot away. I think when you look at when you look at the milkmen, you mentioned you mentioned how good their pitching is, and I think even a guy who I'm expecting to he, he hasn't really been all that great to start to start the year, but at least his track record is so strong in the world of indie ball and in other um, international leagues in Mexico is Ryan Cosmal. Mm. Ryan Cosmal started off the season fairly brutal. However, his his last basically in his last four starts. His most recent one against Chicago in their uh, eight to six loss, I believe on Tuesday, I want to say, he got roughed up in that one. However, the three starts before against Sioux Falls, he threw seven uh, seven shutout innings. Uh, he gave up one unearned run in that one with ten strikeouts in that one, and then against Fargo Moorhead, only given up one run in five and two five, five and two thirds innings. And I think. I think you're going to start to see him pitch a little bit better than he started. I think we, we kind of uh, we touched on in, on previous episodes, at least uh, at least that I was on, that the pitching kind of struggled at the beginning. It could be a potential potentially because sort of a lack of training, a, lot, a lack of training camp uh, or spring training, and I think. As the season's gone on, Kasmal has started to progress a little bit, and I think as he as he continues to get more and more starts under his belt, he can really be that number that number three four starter for Milwaukee that could really kind of put them over the top and put them right up there with Winnipeg for that top spot. But I think um, they. they, they they do need him to rebound from his last start, though. But based on his track record and a little bit, and some on some on his recent performance as well, I think I, I think Kuzmal will start to turn it on down the stretch. Yeah, no, I had him as my player of the week last week because he did very well, like you said, in those starts leading up to his most recent one. And I mean, if, again, if he can even just pitch at a, a regular level, if he can pitch just well. You, they're rolling four deep. Any way you cut it, there's still a four deep rotation with four or five guys in the bullpen that you can really count on. It's hard to beat that kind of pitching depth, and they just need to have two or three guys really come up and produce. And with Tice, Trowbridge, and Washington, like we mentioned just a moment ago, all producing right now, that's really all you need. I mean, even a guy like Correa, he has two home runs this this past week. So maybe you don't get the batting average and the consistent on base from those guys, but if they can chip in a home run here and a home run there, it'll produce and it'll add up. I mean, just need to piecemeal it together. And they have enough pitching depth where they can survive and they can win 3-2 games, 4-3 games. And that's going to be very important as you go down the stretch, especially when right. they have teams like Chicago coming up, where that's going to be a large bulk part of their season, I believe, of their remaining schedule. They're going to have a lot of Chicago left. And as we're going to discuss about them in a little bit from now, they're hitting a lot of home runs. And that's going to be something where if you can take away the long ball from Chicago, you basically take away most of their offense. I mean, I believe they have like 13 home runs in the past week, which is a crazy number as a team. But even still, if that's the only way you're pushing runs across, uh, it's a bit one-dimensional. And with a good pitching staff, you could kind of kill that off fairly easily. 
Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right about Chicago. They are they are super reliant on the home run ball, and I think you saw this week. You mentioned the th- the 13 home runs in the in just the span of seven games is that, that's a terrific number. However, I mean, at the end of the day, they went two and five. So, I mean, you could you could talk about home runs all you want, but you're absolutely right in the in the sense of Milwaukee's matchup with Chicago. I think you're definitely right when you say if you can take away that home run ball against when the Chicago is facing quality pitching, definitely gives the upper hand to Milwaukee, and I think it definitely gives them an edge down the stretch. But and I know we've talked and I know we talked about this guy uh, on the show before, but I mean I just want to talk about it more just because he's that ridiculous. And to be yeah. quite honest with you, I've never pretty much never seen anything like it. But as far as Peyton Gray in the back end of that bullpen, him essentially taking that closer role for, from Miles Smith, not to mention that, I mean, not not to say Miles Smith is some scrub or anything, he's still very, very good. Yeah. Uh, but Peyton Gray, he's thrown 19 scoreless innings. He has not allowed a run the entire season. I, I'm, Nick, I have never seen a guy, and not to mention, it's not like you really could have seen this coming because... It's not like he's some guy with AAA experience, maybe MLB experience. He's a guy coming from low A ball and is just absolutely dominating. I tell you what, if he doesn't end up in affiliated ball next year, I'm going to be stunned. Oh yeah, no, there's no reason why he shouldn't even be in a spring training location right now. Like, absolutely, I'm not sure how much more he needs to do. I mean, like I said, 19 scoreless innings consecutively to have yet to give up an earned run this to this point in the season. I don't even think he's given up that many extra base hits to be quite honest i can only think of one maybe five two it's a 19 innings that's absurd <laughs> i mean like he just comes in and as an opposing batter you'll just kind of go up oh, well i guess this one's done probably not getting on base yeah, I know. like he, i mean you look at his, his matchups uh hold on let me try and let me count this one two three four five six seven so we have his last seven appearances were all scoreless innings and he has not given up a hit in any of them. So if you wanted to translate this to sort he's thrown seven no-hit innings. So I mean, he's just been absolutely lights out. And you're right, I can't believe somebody hasn't looked at him um, to be in a spring training side. I mean, everybody needs bullpen help, especially at the rate that pitchers are getting hurt in the MLB this season. So I, I hope he gets a winter ball job or something like that because – he, he he needs to be in an MLB spring training come come next February. Oh, absolutely. And if not, then I kind of expect him to be in the Atlantic League next year at the very least. I mean, I think I, he's pretty much proving that the American Association isn't much of a challenge to him. And it's not even like it's just, oh, first year luck. Or you could chalk it up to, oh, well, he's only playing five other teams. So, I mean, if those five other teams aren't that good, then it's not that impressive. If anything, and we're going to, when we talk about Winnipeg in a bit, we're going to talk about how it seems like batters are finally starting to pick up on pitchers and how they throw the ball and everything like that. They're getting accustomed to it. So you're seeing the same guys over and over again, and you're still finding a way to fool them 30 games in. It's just, it's ridiculous that what Peyton Gray's doing. And I mean, there's a reason I picked him as like my number one all-star as far as pitchers go. I'm not really sure what more he needs to do to prove that he should have that contract purchased. I mean, he's doing everything he can. It's just a crazy year, and also in the sense that you're not having as many guys purchased out of indie ball as you would in a regular year. I think you could make the case that in a regular year in the American Association, a guy like Peyton Gray would... um, 
would have been purchased by now. But I mean, like I mentioned before, it's kind of it's it's stunning because you mentioned it doesn't seem like the American Association is posing very many issues for him at all. But it's not like he's a, he, he's a guy who like dominated AAA and is essentially kind of taking a a step down in a way to go play in the American Association and dominating like he should. So, yeah, he, he's 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 been incredible and he's leading the back end of this bullpen and he's far from from one of the only uh, relievers at the back end of that milkman bullpen that are just making this team one of the te- definitely the team that you don't want to see right now if you're if you're an American Association team. Yep, absolutely. Another one of those teams that you really wouldn't want to see right now if you're in the American Association is St. Paul, who's also strung together a 7-3 and three stretch as of their last 10. They're finally back up to 500. Now, they're three and a half out of first place, and I believe that would put them about uh, two games out of a playoff spot at the moment, but their offense looks like it's starting to come together. I know Chris Chinea, he's batting 368. Josh Allen batting 364, at least as far as the last week goes. They got a handful of good starts. Uh, Mike Devine, he threw very well. Matt Solter threw two very good starts as well. Uh, but that's kind of where, like, I look at their numbers and I don't see anything where it's like that overpowering, that kind of great. If you look at Milwaukee, you can go, oh, okay, that's why they're doing well. You look at Winnipeg, well, last week wasn't really kind to Winnipeg, but you can see how they got to where they're at right now. With looking at St. Paul, I just, there's something about it where I just don't trust the numbers I'm seeing, where it's almost like they're overachieving. You know what I'm trying to get at? I know. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely see what you're saying. You don't really have that, that really, presence in that lineup kind of like a like a like a I believe like a, like Victor Roach for the um for, for the Chicago Dogs you don't have a guy like that uh in in your lineup so I kind of see what you mean also I mean they also they hit three home runs this week so they're def- they're definitely doing the exact opposite uh, of the of the Chicago Dogs but listen they're having success with it, it I mean when you look at the last week with the Chicago Dogs who scored, who hit 13 home runs and scored 31 runs, uh, 31 runs this week. And then you have, um, then you have the St. Paul Saints who had three home runs and scored 27 runs. And definitely the, the St. Paul Saints had, uh, definitely a lot better pitching this week. So they're definitely getting it done in a different way. And yeah, I, I know what you're saying about, about regression. I guess we, there's not really a good answer. For, uh, not a, there's not really a better answer for it other than time will tell. I mean, it's a it's a deep lineup. It's a solid lineup. You have a lot of guys who get on base. They're not uh, like I mentioned before. They don't have a ton of power in their lineup, but they're gonna they're gonna drive guys in. Still, they're gonna put the ball in play. They're not gonna strike out a lot, which is um, definitely a plus. So I, I I think I think the question the answer to your regression question is. I know I know it's a bad answer, but we kind of we kind of just have to wait and see. But I, I definitely see the the same signs that you're seeing. Yeah, like this. The funny thing is, it seems like wait and see is like a catchphrase on this show because so many of the things we we talk about is oh, we'll just have to wait and see how it turns out. And I, I mean, like I agree with you. It's just. You look at that lineup, and there's just there's so little that's like eye popping when you look at it. it. Just like there's something about it just tells me. But you're right, they do they do kind of play that small ball style, and I mean it works for them clearly. But I also wonder how much of that success they had this week 
lines up with the lack of success that Sioux Falls had. I mean, clearly St. Paul has their number. I mean, they yeah. have the inverse of records. Plus, I mean, Sioux Falls, they, from what I saw, they only had really three solid starts this week. They had a couple of good starts from Heron. Uh, obviously, he played in High Point last year, I believe. Actually, he was one of the guys that Billy Horn had mentioned didn't do well when uh, they kind of went to the second half rules last year. And that's how he kind of found his way out to the American Association. And then uh, Jake Zokan was another guy who pitched fairly well, too. But he's had a good little... I'd say he's had about a good month now. He's been pitching fairly well. So, I mean, outside of that, they really haven't. Their bullpen wasn't that great this week. Uh, only Fulman and Nico Blank were the only two guys I saw that really did well. Batting-wise, I saw a handful of guys from them, but even still, I mean, I, I do wonder how much that lines up, you know? Yeah. I, I think it definitely lines. I think it definitely lines up a good amount. I mean, you're right. They definitely, they definitely have their number um, as far as far as St. Paul having Sioux Falls' number. And in a season like this, that's so much more significant than in a than in a normal season where you're playing everyone fairly the fairly the same number. Of course, with divisions and everything uh, that we don't have this year, it's it's a little bit different. But I see what you're saying. I think that. I think Sioux Falls is. I know the, the last the last time I was on here, I believe what was it like two like two or three weeks ago? Yeah, about three two. weeks. But I know you were really high on Sioux Falls, but I mean since then, they've kind of fallen off. They definitely have they definitely have time to to get back on track here because I mean they're only a game and a half. Milwaukee. Do you know if Sioux Falls plays Milwaukee anytime soon? I don't believe anytime soon, but I do think they have another series before the season ends. I looked that up really quickly, though. Uh, yeah, because because that that could be especially the the head to head matchups down the stretch are going to be huge, and I think I mean I'm sure Sioux Falls and St. Paul will continue to play plenty. But the, the, I think St. Paul and Sioux Falls are pretty evenly matched. It's just it's just a matter of, like you said, St. Paul has their number. Yeah, like I just don't I don't understand, like just because I look at the two teams and I even look at like the individual stats on the two teams, and it to me it looks like Sioux Falls is the better team between the two. But clearly the record disagrees with me, and that's really the thing that matters. I'm looking here, and it doesn't. I don't think they actually play again. I don't think they face off against each other, to be honest. Yeah. I'm looking here. I don't see um, Milwaukee and Sioux Falls playing again. Yeah, no, they don't. I think they only had the one series in the end of July. Yeah, no, that's... First off, that's just kind of odd. You know? Like, I I don't see them listed anywhere on here. Maybe I'm just blind and I'm missing it, but I just don't see that. So, I mean, that's going to be... That'll be tough for the Canaries, though, to try and make up that space, though. I mean, if if you don't have that game... Especially if Milwaukee continues to be kind of a, continues to be a tough matchup for Chicago. It's not like uh, not to say Chicago can't beat Milwaukee, but that, that's definitely that's definitely not great when uh, Sioux Falls is trying to make up some ground, and you're not sure how much how much help they can get from Chicago. If you kind of catch what I'm saying, yeah, I, I absolutely get what you're saying there, especially because that middle section now is just so tightly packed. You have an 18 and 18. Uh, St. Paul team, you have an 18 and 17 Sioux Falls team, and then I believe it's a 17 and 18 Chicago team. I mean, everybody's essentially within a game of each other. 
it becomes really difficult to really kind of get above each other. At this point, there's really only one team that's uh, out of the running here, and it's Fargo-Moorhead, which I think at this point, they're nine games out of first place. They're about seven and a half out of a playoff spot with three teams all clawing in that kind of middle zone. I think it's safe to say that the Red Hawk season is um, at the best case scenario on life support, but more than likely just about done at this point. Yeah, I would I would say it's done. I, I would say it's done. There's too many teams to jump. There's, uh, I mean, they're going to be, they're going to continue to be playing against the best, the best team, uh, the best team in the league. I mean, Winnipeg swept Fargo Moorhead again last week, uh, in their last series. I, it's, there's not really too much more to talk about Fargo Moorhead. Their, their pitching's just simply not good enough to keep up, to keep up with these better teams. And I think, we're really seeing it. I mean, you have guys. I'll say this though: one guy on Fargo Moorhead that I really like, Matt Tomshaw. He had a really nice outing last week with eight innings, giving up two runs, uh, one walk, five strikeouts, got the win in that outing. And he's one of those guys where I kind of question why he's here, considering last year in Double A and Triple A, uh, I believe in the White Sox system, I want to say he had a two ninety ERA and one hundred and eleven innings been between those two levels, and. Um, Recent addition, John Anderson, who's pitched uh, a few years in in, La- in Lancaster, in the Atlantic League, he's the, he's done well as well for Fargo Moorhead. But they haven't, um, as far as the pitching end, they really haven't got much help around um, ex- outside of those two. And I think, and you even look at a, at the bullpen, a guy that I'm kind of fascinated by, but he's getting hit is a guy, um, Mitchell Osnowitz, mm-hmm. out of the bullpen. He he's he really hasn't been good at all. He's a 6.13 ERA in 16 appearances this year, but his fastball gets up around in the high 90s, sometimes touching triple digits. But these hitters, and maybe in a normal American Association, that uh, specifically on the offensive side, that. Maybe hitters have a, a more of a more trouble with that, but now that you have more guys who are getting cut from AAA and AA who, who see that type of velocity, no problem. Um, they they're they're really making them pay because I'm assuming I, I haven't watched too much of Osnowitz pitch specifically, but I would assume it probably he, he gets exposed with a lack of a of a good breaking ball or location in general. Like you mentioned, it's too little, too late. I think for for the for the Red Hawks. Yeah, at this point, I just don't see them uh, really being able to rebound. And with Austin, which I think it's a lot to do with familiarity. I mean, I've seen a decent amount of uh, Fargo Moorhead games here, and it seems like every time there's one to two play pitchers that will always come in in relief. Ostenwitz is one of them where he seemingly is always pitching. Uh, Thurston's another guy that's almost always on the mound, and then Williams is a third guy that's normally kind of come out there at some point. So I think it's just a matter of all these guys kind of know what he's about at this point. And I do question his variety of pitches a little bit. So, I mean, if you're throwing the same two or three, even four pitches over and over again, and you've played the same team, you know, like 10 times, it's like, okay, we, we know what he's going to do. We've seen him in just about every situation now. I know what to look for from this guy. And yeah. it great you can throw hard that can bail you out of a lot of situations especially on this level but if it's a let's say it's a two-on-one pitch you're like okay i know what i'm gonna look for i've seen this same exact scenario three different times now even if he throws hard i'm just gonna start swinging earlier 
and I'll probably at least make contact and just force myself into a better situation. So I think it's a lot of that. And then also, you look at their batting, it's kind of dried up. I mean, there wasn't much to begin with, but now it's especially, the well's especially dry. And when you don't have the pitching like Milwaukee to bail out your hitting, and you don't have the hitting like Chicago to bail out your pitching, it it's going to come back and it's going to get you and you're going to get exposed. And that's kind of what's happened here. Also, an interesting note from them. I looked at most of their starters, and with the exception of Tomshaw, I don't think any of them crossed the five-inning threshold. Oh, really? Yeah, this past week, I don't think anyone did. Uh, I can, I think I wrote that down. Yeah, no, uh, with the exception of two starts, no one else got above five innings. And I just found that very interesting that you were essentially using an opener for a while there. Now, I'm not going to say that's a bad decision because it's not inherently a bad decision, but it kind of puts a lot of stress in your bullpen when you're doing that a lot in one week. I mean, you really got to rely on your guys in in the pen to be able to bail you out because you're going to be going for, you know, five, six, seven innings. Now, I'm not sure how many of those starts happened in a doubleheader because that would explain why you only go two innings, you only go four and a third innings. It's a lot longer right. than you would otherwise think. But even still, it's a bit odd to not have that many guys go deep. I mean, I think they played like seven games this week and you only have two that surpass five innings. Even with double headers, it's still like okay. It's kind of odd. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I guess you're right. If if it's like double headers, they 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 would. I'm sure they'd be playing seven inning double headers. Yeah. I guess that would sort of explain why you have a quicker hook. But especially, I mean, as an analytics guy, especially watching Major League Baseball. The opener, the opener really only works when you have, when you have a, a really, a really, uh, deep bullpen behind you that is, that is able to, uh, pick up the slack. Cause the whole point of it is that you'd have, like, instead of your four or five starter starting, like, just the same as your ace does, the whole point is that your, uh, that your four or five starter is on, instead of facing the top of the order, uh, two or three times, he's only facing him once, and he's starting with the bottom of the order. But I, I, I don't really, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not sure if, if Sioux Falls really has the bullpen to really kind of pull off an opener. I don't think many teams in um, in Indie Ball do. I guess you could say Milwaukee could, potentially. But, yeah. I mean, I yeah, mean, I mean that, that's, yeah, that, that'd be interesting if they're, I mean, I'd love to know. I'd love to know why. But maybe it's maybe matchups have a reason to do with it. Maybe they maybe they're seeing trends like oh, when they're playing St. Paul the third time through the order, they make adjustments and they start they start absolutely raking the third time through the order. So hey, let's not see. Let's not let's make sure our starters don't get don't see the the top of the St. Paul Saints lineup a third time. Maybe they see certain stats like that that I, that well, obviously was, me or you don't have access yeah, to. Well, it but was, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, it was Fargo Moorhead that was doing that, not to not Sioux Falls there, but even still the same oh, principle. Sorry, Fargo yeah, Moorhead. Yeah, yeah, it still applies though with Winnipeg. I mean, it's just as dangerous of a lineup there, and I mean, like it could very well be that. It may be, I think, like, Hagens was one guy who only pitched two innings when normally I think he goes around six. But I know he had just came off of the injured list. I don't really know 
why that was, but either way, it's, it's an interesting thing to note here. And I do wonder how much of Fargo's, I guess, struggle really has almost come from that whole Jim Bennett situation, which I'm not sure if it was with, uh, with James I was discussing or if it was with you I was discussing. Oh, no, it was definitely me. Yeah. We, 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 we discussed pretty uh, pretty lengthy about it i remember yeah so the, i mean so then you we're both pretty familiar with it and i won't rehash it for a listener's sake here but it definitely is odd to dismiss a manager that close to opening day on seemingly no notice and a guy that didn't really do anything to warrant being fired and didn't want to be fired and it that whole situation's odd and i do wonder how much that plays into it just because you can't get that you know base off the bat. I mean, you can't have that base roster of, okay, I like these guys. You just kind of walk in and go, okay, this is my roster. I don't have much time to make that many adjustments to it. So I, I wonder how much of a factor that is in this all. But it's just been a it's been yeah. a really disappointing year though. Every way you slice it for the Red Hawks. I mean, they're 12 and 20. They really haven't had that many positives to take away from it. I'll say this much. Their series against Winnipeg, it was a lot closer than it seems. I know they were swept, but a lot of those games were closer than you'd think for a long time. And it's a bit of a bad break that didn't at least get one. But, I mean, even still, uh, at this point, they would have needed to really run the table to make any sort of a dent. And with the way everyone else is playing, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, right. I definitely agree with you there. Uh, So then the only thing left as far as American Association talk goes is some talk about Winnipeg. This week they're really powered by four main assets, which is Darnell Sweeney, Wes Darville, and I believe it's Jordan George, as well as their bullpen. They really got them through this week. If you look at their past week as far as batting goes, it really is just those three guys atop there. Kyle Martin also did fairly well. I think he batted 273, and then it's a big drop-off from there. Obviously, uh, the record-setting performance from Victor Capion. He broke the American Association saves record. He has 71 now. I believe that puts him in the top 10 across all of indie ball for saves in a career. He may be just a hair outside. I'd have to do a little bit more research into that, but he's certainly a top 10 guy there in that regard. And all in all, I mean, Winnipeg, they pull out a decent week. I believe they're 5-5. Five and five. They maintain top of the standings. No real shift there. And, uh, yeah, they're just, they're just kind of on cruise control at this point, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, when you say that, I, I know for the, for, the, for the past week, at least, it was certainly uh, Sweeney, Darville, and George really, drive, really driving the bus there for Winnipeg. But to me, I'm not really too concerned about that lineup because I know guys like Logan Hill and John Nestor and Dario Pisano, I know they had uh, rough weeks at the plate, but, I mean, histor- but if you're looking at the entire season... They, they've been among Winnipeg's better hitters, so I, I would I would have to assume they bounce back. You definitely you, you certainly hope if you're a Gold Eyes fan that you're not seeing them um, kind of go on a second half slump and kind of limp to the finish line. But I mean they, they did have a they did have a tough week, but I think that uh, g- given how how much success they've had, those three guys in particular, Logan Hill, John Nestor, and Dario Pisano, 
when you look when you're looking at how much success they've had over the course of the of the weeks prior, I think I, I wouldn't be too worried about it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, I mean I'm not concerned about Winnipeg. They put themselves in a position where it's hard to question them. It's just something of note. And I mean at this point it's almost just trying to find flaws with them. Uh they're in a great spot as it sits there. Unless they I'll put it like this. If next week they do the same thing and the week after they start to do the same thing again and we get to the end of August and they've had three not so great weeks at the plate, then I'll be concerned. Right. But in the, in the short term, it really isn't anything of concern as far as, as far as I'm involved in this. Also, Frank Duncan had a nice start again, but that's hardly news. I think the real big news is, and I'm not sure if I even call it big news, is Hilton finally had a bad start. He got lit yeah. up a bit, and he, maybe this is the start of him coming back down to earth. I know we've mentioned it seems like he only goes five innings, and then he gets yanked before really batters can start to get familiar with him. I think now that kind of condensed schedule, condensed league is finally catching up to him, which very well could be an issue for Winnipeg, especially if you go to only having two or three guys that are reliable. But even still, uh, there's just such a deep team where I don't really see this as being much of a concern, if one at all. Frank Duncan had another start. I mean, the sky, the sky is still blue. I mean, he, he, he's a stud. He's continuing um, to put up another terrific season in indie ball. Uh, I, and like you mentioned about Hilton, I think uh, I was definitely expecting to see some sort of regression. I think you're really starting to see that over the course of his uh, of his past two starts. I think you specifically look at his uh, start against Chicago on August 5th. Um, six and two thirds innings. They they kind of gave him uh, the the uh, the extra leash there to go past that five inning mark, and he ends up giving up ten hits and five earned runs. I haven't looked too d- uh, in depth into that game, but I would assume maybe that third time through the order, they started to kind of figure out Hilton and started to put some hits on put some hits and runs on the board. And also with Fargo Moorhead, although he did end up picking up the win in this one. Uh, only going five innings and giving up nine hits and four runs. I think he is starting to come back down to earth, but I think for a team that's as deep as Winnipeg, I don't think that's really uh, that much of an issue. Obviously, we, we, we talk about Frank Duncan all the time. Uh, I think M- Mitch Lamson, even though he's been a little bit underwhelming this year, taking a little bit of a step back from how good he was the the previous two seasons, I think that I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if kind of similar how I was talking about Ryan Kasmal kind of taking off down the stretch. I wouldn't be surprised to see him either. Or or you even have a guy like um major uh former big leaguer Brandon Compton as he starts to um as he starts to really get into the swing of things with the gold eyes. It'll be interesting to see if he can uh start uh, if he can really settle into a number two or number three role with this team. I know he hasn't he hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been great so far, so it'll be interesting to watch him. But I think this Winnipeg team is so deep and in the lineup and their in pitching as well. I think I think like you mentioned, I think I think they're on cruise control and I fully expect him to see them in the championship series. Exactly. I mean at this point there's not much more that can really be said about them other than they're just continuing to do what they're doing and uh there's not really any reason for concern at this point. I mean, they put up pedestrian numbers and it really doesn't matter because they do have that cushion on just about everybody else. So it'll be interesting to see the next week in the association. The last bullet point I have here uh, before we go to play.
player and pitcher of the week. It's just the uh, Goldeye schedule has been changed a little bit. Some games they were supposed to play in Fargo are now going to be played. Uh, the 821 through 823 series is going to be in Milwaukee now as opposed to in Fargo. And then their last stretch of the season from September 4th through September 10th. Uh, that's supposed to be against Milwaukee and St. Paul. Uh, those games are now in, well, Milwaukee and St. Paul. So it's just a little bit of shuffling there. I saw some people, I think it was on Facebook or Twitter, they were complaining about the fact that the schedule got changed. <laughs> and I just kind of think that's ridiculous. And this year, already they're not playing at home. What difference is if they're playing at home in Fargo yeah. or if they're playing as officially a road team in Milwaukee or St. Paul. The only difference is Milwaukee and St. Paul get a couple extra dates where they can hopefully recoup some money lost from this year. So, I mean, I, I really don't see the, the downside but, of doing this. Well, I guess maybe it's... Um Maybe they were, you think they were complaining because they because they didn't get to beat up beat up on Fargo Moorhead more. Oh, they're still going to get the beat up on them. It's not like they're going and not playing Fargo anymore. Those games were originally oh, right, supposed yeah. to be well, Milwaukee's going to be the road team there. Now it's just well, we're switching who's the home team and who's the away team. So it's still the same exact schedule. It's just oh, where yeah, the game's yeah. been played. So, yeah, so then there really shouldn't be. Any issues? Any issues with that? I mean, yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that as far as uh, trying to recoup uh, some some money lost for those teams, I, and that actually probably makes sense, especially because I, I know when when looking at attendance numbers, I think I was looking at them a couple days ago. Attendance definitely does take a dip when you. I, I know uh, St. Paul and St. Paul's back now, but obviously St. Paul attendance wise didn't do. Uh, as well as as a Sioux Falls as Sioux Falls was doing specifically, I'm talking about when St. Paul's playing a team that's not Sioux Falls as the home team, and, and definitely it's the same with Winnipeg um, when they're playing in Fargo Moorhead and Fargo Moorhead's playing somewhere else. Attendance definitely does take a dip, and, and, and then you can see why. I mean, they don't really have the same connection with that community as um, as the Fargo Moorhead Redhawks do with their as far as Fargo does with their team or as Sioux Falls um, does with their team so you, you could you could see why which is why I think it definitely makes sense to have them to have them play more games uh, more games in Milwaukee and, and such exactly I mean it's just a it's a minor thing here and to really complain about it makes no sense in my mind because again they're essentially a road team in Fargo you might as well be a row team where another team can make some money off of it. And really, it's just a right. benefit thing here. And like you said, the attendance for the teams that are technically using it as a home team situation, but are quite clearly not playing in their usual ballpark, that's lower. On top of already COVID restrictions and everything, It's it just makes more sense for a team like Winnipeg that is homeless for this year to let them go and play in different ballparks where they could probably be better utilized. So, I mean, it's hard yeah, to... Yeah, I definitely agree. Know. I think it's probably a good, good decision by uh, by the American Association. Yep. All right. So now with that said, we'll wrap up the American Association talk with just player and pitcher of the week. I guess I'll lead that off. And my player of the week, we mentioned him earlier. We talked about how great of a week he had. And it's David Washington. I mean, we talked through all the stats. I'll recap it. He batted 452, two home runs, 10 ribbies, seven runs scored. He had a walk, but he had, what was it, 10 extra base hits on 14 hits in total. So it's hard to do better than he did this week as far as batting is concerned. He's definitely um, 
earned that title this week. He was head and shoulders above everybody else, plus his importance to his team was certainly more than anybody else. And then as far as my pitcher of the week goes, I'm going to take a lead from Sioux Falls, and that's going to be Tyler Heron. ERA of 1.69, 12 strikeouts. I believe he allowed four runs and had uh, three earned runs, and he had a, he gave up one walk. So all in all, a solid week from Tyler Heron there. So uh, those are my two guys, David Washington and Tyler Heron. So Nick, I'm I'm going to save you some time. I'm I'm going to save you some time here because, uh, well, I uh, I have the exact same player of the week and pitcher of the week. Uh, David Washington is my player of the week, and Tyler Heron is my pitcher of the week. So I guess we both agree there. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you can't argue that. I mean, it's had uh, they both had great weeks. So I, yeah. I kind of expect the American Association to follow our lead and name those two uh, the official players of the week. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you think we're trendsetters over at the Indie Ball Report. You think that you think they're probably listening in and uh, making their awards based off what we say, you know? Exactly. I mean, we we got an in with their commissioner. He's already agreed to come back on. We're I'm going to cash that one in at the end of the season. So hopefully, in like yeah. actually about a month from now, I'll be cashing that one in and hopefully have a discussion about uh, the whole season how that went so that'll be something to look forward to yeah, of course that's gonna ask him definitely gonna be a terrific interview yeah absolutely so with that we'll shift to really the only other major story in independent league baseball this week or really the only major one as we just spent time talking about actual baseball which is wonderful to be doing but uh, the washington series i'm going to call it i think it's technically the heritage baseball series or it has some name that's all dolled up uh, that got canceled prematurely according to the wild things it was announced on Monday that their league was going to have to be shut down because the state warned them they were in danger of being fined and being forcibly shut down if they didn't do it themselves. Uh, this is due to an anonymous complaint saying that they were above COVID capacity, which is 250 people. However, the team said that they submitted another plan and that they were approved to operate at 200 or 2,000 and 200 people, so 2,200 in total, and that they took all the precautions necessary and that this is just an unfortunate event that they were shut down in this matter. Now, the plot does thicken, though. As according to the actual state of Pennsylvania, they were never given permission to exceed 250. Their plan was never officially approved and that they were not told to shut down. They were just told, you can't have this many people. You need to be at 250. So it is a very odd uh, coincidence or circumstance, rather, that we find ourselves here in Washington County, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Nick, I think you described it well. It's it's very odd because you see when I first heard this story and, and I saw the wild thing statement, it was kind of, and I know, I know people like to freak out and I, I know people love to like blame the government and stuff. I know it's easy to do, but I, I was like, all right, I, I'm going to wait and see if more information comes out because it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense that if you were following all the protocols, if you were keeping it uh, to 250 people attendance max in accordance with state protocols, the state of Pennsylvania would just come up to you and say, you have to shut down or we're like going to destroy your whole business. I don't think, uh, when I saw that, I'm like, well, I mean, I, I know that'll get your fans riled up and stuff, which I guess was the point of their statement, but it, I'm like, there's got to be more to the story. And 
now now that I got the other side of the story with the, with um, the the state of Pennsylvania, the health department saying, well, we didn't that one like you mentioned, they didn't uh, they didn't give a um, an exception for them to go past two hundred and fifty, uh, like, like the wild things said that they did, but. Not to mention the fact that they also said, well, we also didn't really want them to, we didn't want them to shut down. And that, um, that if you, if you want, if you can play the rest of the season, just play the rest of the season, just follow the protocols and we have, and we have no problems with it. So at, at the end of the day, here's somebody's lying. <laughs> and I, I, I don't, I don't really know who's lying. It's like you mentioned. It's a very odd situation, and I, I don't know because to me, because I think at least in the news story that I that I read and listened to, the, the, I believe there's some sort of anonymous tip that was yeah. given to the state of Pennsylvania that um, that hey, I know there's supposed to be 250 people only. The wild things are allowing a lot more than uh, more than 250 people. They're violating you know, your state executive orders. So come check it out. So I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of it because I don't really know who's lying. It's a shame that it, 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 the real loser, of course, is the players who can't finish finish out the season. And I kind of hope that they wouldn't have. They would have kind of worked out, sort of worked out a solution between the sides instead of just um, immediately canceling the season. But of course, I'm not in on those discussions or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, obviously, for the players and whatnot. But I do know, I remember hearing from from somebody, I don't recall exactly who, that already the plan was to kind of cut back on the number of games and the number of weeks that the baseball series was going to go because of attendance issues. So I do wonder if this is just kind of a convenient out where it's like, okay, already we were kind of going more than we should have. The state caught on and at 250, it's just not financially viable. So we might as well just shut it down. I don't want to say that's what happened because I don't know that's for certain what happened. But if that's what came out, I would certainly be not surprised by that. Also, I mean, like you said, it just doesn't make sense that they would just come in and say, all right, you're shutting it down. Uh, like it just makes a lot more sense to me that the state said, "Look, you have too many people here. You can only have 250. You're exceeding that number. Either drop it to 250, or figure something else out here." And the wild thing said, "At 250, we just can't make enough money to justify this." And said, "Okay, we got to shut it down." Another thing that kind of goes against what they're saying here, and I hate to be just like kind of going after one side as opposed to the other here, but the Empire League's going to be playing. <laughs> at that ballpark and i have a hard time believing that the empire league's not going to have any fans in attendance especially because i believe it was a couple days ago they said fans are welcome to the ballpark so if they can have fans in there then why couldn't washington have that there yeah i'm not sure it's definitely i i I agree with you i i think i think you're 100 percent right in the in the fact that they were they were I'm, I'm assuming they're probably uh, they were probably exceeding the 250 person limit because to, I mean to be honest with you, Nick, I, I don't know what uh, a pro baseball team can have um, an attend just strictly from a business standpoint. Of course, leaving out the the very important health concerns and such that I definitely do not want to discount. But have uh, uh, from strictly a, a business standpoint, having fans with 
only 250 fans. And I know when we went back when the, there was a whole, a whole, a whole lot of debate about the Atlantic League season and when nobody kind of knew what was going on, the, uh, the Lancaster Barnstormers general manager said, hey, listen, 200, right now it's 250. If we don't get an exemption, we can't, we're not going to play. Not, not in the sense that out of any kind of like anger or anything, but they just can't, that's they just can't not turn profit. financially viable to hold games with, with 250 people. So I, th- I think you're right. I think that's more the, of the case. And once the state of Pennsylvania comes in and says, hey, listen, you got to keep it to 250 like we told you. And they're like, and what the wild things kind of saw it as a convenient out instead of actually holding games with 250 people, which would probably be a pretty big loss to them. Exactly. Like, I don't, if that's what happened, I don't fault them at all for that. For that, I'd rather they have to give up on the few remaining games this year than put themselves in a financially vulnerable position for next season. Obviously, the long-term health of the team is more important than the short-term. So if that's right. what they need to do, that's what they need to do. Obviously, it's unfortunate. Obviously, you'd like to prevent it, but you can't really help the circumstances if that's what the case is. And again, I don't really know. It just seems very odd, the whole thing where it's like, they st- when you have one side going, the state told us we had to shut it down. And then the state comes out and goes, no, we didn't do that at all. And then you'd look at everything around it. Just it's when you put all the pieces together, you just, it doesn't all add up for me at least. So I mean, it's got, it's got to be the whole, it's got to be the fact that the wild things knew the whole time that they couldn't hold, they, they couldn't possibly hold, uh, hold games with 250 fans. And now that they kind of, if they kept playing, they had to keep it to 250. They just that, That's just not a realistic option for them. And I can totally see it not being a realistic option for a team. To be honest with you, I, I know in my local local ballpark, Somerset, when they're, they're only allowed to have 500 people, I, I'm surprised that that's financially viable either, if I'm being honest. But, but I mean, 250, it's a tough number to... Uh, to adhere to for a professional baseball team and once they were actually forced to adhere to that that i i would bet that that's the reason and it's not the whole state state of pennsylvania coming in saying we're going to shut your shut down your business or whatever because um because you're not adhering to protocols and i i, w- I would bet it's more along the lines of they just can't financially um they can't have 250 fans in the ballpark and continue to keep their business running yeah, I imagine that's it there. And so I think we kind of said everything that we can say on that matter. So kind of just shift now just to talk a little bit about that Empire League that will be showing up there. Obviously, it's more of, a, I guess, kind of a feeder league for independent leagues. Uh, and they kind of move guys along. It's really a heavy prospect league for guys that just got out of college mainly. Normally, they're in, in that New York, New England type region. Uh, they had to make alterations to that. Uh, originally, they were going to go to Florida. I believe it was Fort Myers. But now with Florida getting worse, they made the plan to go out to Pennsylvania. They're going to play in Wild Things Park. They're going to start their season on September 1st. We know uh, Jonathan Abeladejo. He's already involved with the league. Now York Revolution manager Mark Mason is going to be involved with the league. 
So they're starting to get some really, really high names as at least as far as independent league baseball goes. And I gotta, I gotta say this much. They're really giving themselves a lot of credibility. I already, they're very credible. There's been a lot of successes from that league as it is, but now they're really adding on to it. I know they're going to start play on September 1st. Their training camp starts August 28th, I believe it is, and runs through the 31st of August. And I'm going to be interested to see how this league turns out. I, I think as far as bringing in guys who are t- experienced in the world of indie ball, like Mark Mason and Jonathan Alvaladejo, it, it really does help those players that are looking. That the end goal is, like you mentioned, it's it's a feeder league to these to these indie ball leagues that they're trying to uh, they're trying to get contracts. And I mean, you'd have to assume Mark Mason is back with the York Revolution next year. He's getting a, he's getting a firsthand look at some talent that he could potentially bring onto his bring onto his team next year, or at the very least, because I'm sure Mark Mason has a zillion connections, or maybe he thinks, okay, I know a guy in the in the Frontier League who, um, I mean, I can't take you on my team, but I do know a guy who's I don't know the the uh, manager over at Evansville in the Frontier League, and and maybe he calls him and says, hey. I have a guy for you. I think he'll be a good fit for your team. I think it, it's really when you bring in guys, obviously it's a shame that guys like Jonathan Abeladejo and Mark Mason aren't doing things with their own team or their own teams this year, specifically Mark Mason with York. But I think it's a really great opportunity for those players in the Empire League when they're right out of college or playing very minimal pro ball to really learn from the best. And, know, and now that they're getting taught by guys, who would they impress that they have a lot of connections to get them jobs in pro ball, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100% with that. My only concern, though, is we know there's going to be a resurgence of COVID in the fall. Uh, that's just been pretty much given by just about every expert at this point. So a season that starts in September, I do wonder how long you can go with that until you have problems start to appear especially with players coming from all around the U.S., coming to the same location. It definitely is something I'm going to watch to see because I can only imagine that one positive case isn't going to stop this league. But if you have, say, 10 or 15 in a week-long period, that really does make you consider throwing the brakes on the whole thing because that's a lot of positive tests especially that spread across the the, however many teams that are going to be there it's something that is extremely concerning and for me at least is that covid resurgence that is extremely possible in a league like this at that time of the year yeah you know i think I think at the end of the day, we've kind of seen now that now that we've seen what sports operating operating in a pandemic looks like. We've seen the good, we've seen the bad, and we've we've seen the ugly. So I, I think it, it all comes down to how um, how are protocols enforced, how seriously are, are protocols taken by the players, staff, uh, etc. I'm not sure. I'm I'm sure they'll have. I'm not sure if they're staying in a hotel or something like that. Uh, or if they're responsible for their own housing, I'm not exact. I'm not 100% familiar with those details of the league. I-, I think kind of like everything, if you have guys who are like Zach Plesac and Mike Clevenger of the Cleveland Indians going out on the town having a good time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, your league probably will not last very long. But I think if you, I, I really do think if you have, um, if you have guys that um, that realize what's at stake here, that listen. 
I'll have plenty of time to uh, to, to go out after, uh, and go have some fun after. But right now, I have a really big, I have a really great opportunity in in the Empire League to get myself a job in professional baseball. I think you could, you one can one can only hope that that would be enough to make sure that the protocols are followed very uh, very specifically. Exactly, it does. It comes back to the players at the end of the day treating the. The protocols and the restrictions, you know, as serious as they can be, because again, I mean, we've seen all, I mean, take your pick across Major League Baseball and the teams with the outbreaks that have happened there. I mean, some of them, I got to start wondering if those teams are going to have their seasons canceled outright. I mean, how many games have the Cardinals missed now to where it's like, okay, they're starting to miss a lot. So I think that's going to be something that uh, becomes a question for Major League Baseball, but uh, that's a whole nother animal. And I'm sure dozens of other shows talk about them. So I'll just shift back to really the focus here and it, it's just going to be something I'm going to be very interested to see with the Empire League and hopefully it works out well hopefully they are able to get their full season in and we'll see where we're at at the end of September and hopefully all is well. Yeah well without, a, without any travel and then just sticking to one ballpark I mean, the, you, you look at you look at these other one team, uh, excuse me, one, one ballpark leagues like Sugarland and uh, and Somerset, the ones at least that I'm that I'm familiar with. I'm sure there's. Oh well, then you have one. You have uh, like slip in my mind, uh, Flo- Florence, right? Florence yeah, Florence has Lexington the thing, but that's with or, two. That's with two. They go between Lexington oh, and two, Florence. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm, I think I think with one ballpark, it's it's definitely easier to manage and and one can hope that as long as protocols are are, are followed and people take people take this very seriously with, with one ballpark and limited exposure I guess to other people outside of the Empire League circle I think I I I've, I, I see what you're saying about the second wave uh the potential second wave in the fall that so many have talked about one could hope that uh that that it still ends up working out with guys who who take it seriously Yep, absolutely. And so now we'll just kind of end off the show. There's a couple of other uh, minor things I just want to kind of get to real quick here. Uh, I won't spend terribly much time on it, but uh, the Western Association, which has been coming around for about a year now, a little over a year now, actually, uh, they teased their next team, which just a concept art of a stadium. I can't really make out where it is. It definitely looks like Southwest U.S., so I guess like an Arizona, uh, uh, Virginia, or not Virginia, uh, an Arizona, uh, Vegas, uh, Nevada in general type things where I'm kind of getting the vibe from. We know the first teams yeah, in I'm, Henderson. I'm thinking at least, at least the part of the, the, the uh, their kind of like teaser, for lack of a better term, that I saw. The, obviously, the ball, looking at the ballpark doesn't really doesn't really mean a whole lot uh, without much context around it. But I mean, you could kind of see uh, you could kind of, there's like a, a few palm trees in that picture. So you you would probably, in my opinion, I think I think they're trying to hint at Arizona. I could be completely wrong, but I think in this in that definitely in that area, especially with. One team already in uh, Henderson, Nevada. I think putting a team in Arizona, or maybe putting a team, uh, another team in Nevada. I think it could make some sense for them. Yeah, it definitely looks like a almost a college landscape, though, when you look at the surrounding area behind it. But it's definitely going to be near Henderson. Again, I do question putting outdoor baseball teams in areas that see a hundred degree heat regularly. 
Now, right. I've never been out there. So maybe when you have your start times, if you have them start instead of seven o'clock at eight o'clock, the temperature drops from 95 degrees to like 85 degrees, which is a lot more doable. Yeah. But if it you're going to have. It's funny, Nick, because actually, uh, back in, back when I was in high school, I played on an AAU basketball team and we had a, we had, we played at a, at a big tournament out in Las Vegas. And while everybody was, was going having fun on the Las Vegas Strip, me being the baseball nerd that I am, went to the uh, old Las Vegas 51s park to watch uh, to watch future uh, MLB play, MLB specifically Mets guys, Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso. So I can I can confirm that um, it is one, it is hot, uh, but it's it's not really. The game time, like if you look at the temperature, it'll say like 105 degrees, and they do start at like 7:35 mm-hmm. uh, local time. But and it does say like 105 degrees or whatever. But when the sun's not there, it's not that bad because it's not very humid. Oh, like, okay. like 105 degrees in in Nevada is definitely as I, I didn't I didn't honestly didn't know this either until I was out there is is a hell of a lot different than 105 degrees back in New Jersey New York. Okay, so maybe then it won't be as bad. But even I still, it's doable. I, I do. Yeah, it, it's still it's still in the, something that works against them a bit. But uh, even still, yeah. that's all we have from them. Again, uh, hopefully we'll have someone on once the uh, American Association season ends in September. Uh, they'll be all we'll re up the interviews and stuff come September when there's less to talk about. So uh, they're definitely on the list of guys we want to have on. And uh, we'll we'll swing around to that when we have more news for that front there. And then the last right, thing... For sure. I'd, I'd definitely love to talk to... <laughs> yeah, definitely. would love to hear you talk to somebody from the Western Association just because we haven't seen a ton of uh, a ton of information from them. I think we're starting to have more that trickle in. Mm. So then the last thing we have on the docket here is uh, Gastonia is holding their name the team contest. You can vote for it on your site. So I thought it would just be kind of fun if we threw out a couple of names for this team. Obviously, there's not much to really say about them to this point because, again, they're just such a new franchise. There's not terribly much surrounding them at this point here. And it'll be later in the offseason that we'll be able to talk about possible coaches, possible rosters, dissect the team name, dissect the logo, do all that stuff. But in the meanwhile, it is kind of fun just to kind of take a shot at some of the names that this team could be called. So do you have any possible suggestions for the fine folks at the Gastonia Fuse uh, baseball team? See, I know their their, uh, summer collegiate team was called the Grizzlies, and I Mm. thought that sounded kind of cool, but obviously they won't. I don't think they'll keep it the same. Yeah. Um... Hmm. You know, it's kind of hard for me to say without maybe 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 I'll save maybe I'll save my name request for like next week when I could do um, a lot more a lot more research into kind of like the the city of Gastonia because I'm sure it'll be a good name would be something that's historically relevant to that city mm. which I'm not a hundred percent familiar with. But what, what, do you have do you have any names in mind? I have a couple. I I saw Miller's being thrown around a lot. Because okay. they're big into textiles. Personally, okay. I threw flyers out there because I thought, okay, North Carolina first in flight. That could be something there. I'd also like to maybe see something related to the whole fuse concept. So maybe something involving like cannons. So maybe like Gastonia cannons or uh, Gastonia okay. bombardment. Yeah, so, some, something to fire. I could see that. Yeah, like something like that. You know what? 
I almost maybe like bombers or something. Like I want to know if there's like a history of production around there, like say World War II. Like I don't know if there was or wasn't, but if they produced like say uh, B-52s during World War II, bombers could be like oh, a cool. perfect. Like if they did that, I'm not saying that they did or didn't, but if they did. Uh, Maybe like calling them the bombers could be really cool there because you play on the history. You also play on fuse a little bit. Uh, maybe they go with, I know they're a ways away from any sort of water, but maybe like a pirate theme because when I hear fuse, I think, oh, like a pirate cannon, that kind of thing. Okay. Maybe yeah. something like that. Or you could go with like very simple. Like, I don't know, like the Gastonia Flames or something. I don't know. Yeah. You, you could have some fun with it. I, I, I kind of like the idea of playing off the fuse term. Yeah, like I think that opens up to a lot of things. Maybe they could just steal some of the some of the other names from these pop up leagues. I got it. The Gastonia Blasters. Okay. <laughs> we'll just steal the logo. The New, Jersey, the, the New Jersey Blasters moved down to Gastonia. Exactly. I mean, like it works. They already got a team together, at least part of a team. <laughs> yeah. You could yeah, do uniforms. That. Yeah, exactly. You got you got everything together here. I mean, like it it's half built already. You could even, better yet, steal lightning slots. Let's go with the Gastonia lightning slots. Lightning slots. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's a great name. It's definitely Indie Ball. I mean, or better it is yet. Indie Ball. You, you know, and I could not imagine how many, uh, how, how much apparel they would sell if they were called the lightning slots. They would move a lot, that's for certain. I mean, or you could just steal from when uh, Florence was getting renamed and call them like the Pop Flies or uh, No Socks. Let's see, where are some of the other gold ones? The fossil jockeys? But, oh, I remember the fossil jockeys. I'm like, please, no. See, I thought no socks and fossil jockeys were the top two. Like, I'm just saying. Because in my mind, you go with uh, fossil jockeys, it's just like some sort of caveman riding, like, the Sinclair dino. Like, right. like I have that yeah, in I my did. mind. <laughs> I, 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 the name Yalls has grown on me, I gotta admit. I'll give him that, yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll eagerly look forward to your name suggestions next week as we're, okay. we're about sounds, sounds like a plan. Yeah, we're running a little long here, so I'm gonna cut this off at this point here, and, uh, we'll go to the plugs here as we got a, a successful episode in the can, as the term goes. Uh, we'll toss the plugs in and then we'll go from there. Uh, you can find the show. On Instagram at Indie Ball Report. You can also find at Indie Ball James. And now, technically, I guess, kind of in the umbrella is at ALPB News. I guess, right. technically. Uh, I'm going to plug it either way. <laughs> so <laughs> you could def definitely head over to there and uh, follow on Instagram if you haven't done so already. You could also find the show on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod. You could find the website, Indie Ball Report Podcast. <clears throat> oh, wait, that's Indie Ball Report Podcast is our YouTube page. You can find our website at IndieBallReport.com, which I'll have to update that to include all your links and stuff under the About Us tab there. But you can find all our stuff there, uh, videos, social media, podcasts, show notes, the whole nine's there. And you can find the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, not on radio, but you can find us just about anywhere you can find podcasts. So uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add? Not, not much for me to add. It was a great first, uh, first official show with you, Nick. Yeah, it was great. Great to finally add another host onto the show. 
Hopefully we can get the three-man show running next week. And, uh, yeah, with nothing else left to add and everything well put, I'll leave off this show as we leave off every show. Don't forget to play ball. Ball.